Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you here today. Uh, as has been mentioned several times, we are celebrating the season of Advent. And as uh, Christmas Day approaches and the world turns its attention to the birth of Christ, we recognize uh, that the coming of God's Son so many years ago uh, speaks to our past, our present, and our future. It is who we have been, it is who we are, it is who we will be. And each of those identities is formed by the knowledge of Jesus, whom God sent to this world as a baby, a baby who became an extraordinary man, an extraordinary man who gave his life for the redemption of the world. And as he rose from the dead, he brought salvation to all of God's people. Amen? Amen. We live in this reality. That God has come, that Jesus has saved us, and that one day he will return. It is a story of how much we are loved by our God. Through the season of Advent, we are reminded to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus, that one day Jesus will come back and our God will make all things new. And we have great hope in this knowledge knowing that it's going to happen, the renewing of all things. And it's something that we eagerly await. And we have peace knowing that God has rewritten the end of the story. And he has brought his love and salvation to us here on earth. So this is our third Sunday where we have lit, we have lit, lighted, we have lit the candle of joy. Joy is found in the past, the present, and the future. It is found in what God has done, in what God is doing, and what God will do. But joy sometimes is a tough one for me. Um, I want to be a joyful person, but part of my problem is when I think about a joyful person, they're a little cartoonish. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just really not me being so expressive and happy all the time. I prefer to just have a dead look on my face. Um, but I want joy, and I want to understand joy better. But here's my problem. I think that my base problem is in order for me to have joy, I tend to wait on a feeling or a moment. Um, because I'm waiting for something randomly good to happen to me that will make me feel joyful in a moment, I don't express much joy in my life. But the Bible is full of not just joy, but the expression of joy. And what is the expression of joy called? You know? How, does, how do you express joy? You, we're going to use a biblical word here, folks. You rejoice. That's, that is the expression of joy. So I'm going to suggest two things to you this morning as we get started. Um, number one, we, we make a mistake if we wait to have an experience of joy in order to be joyful. Because as, as Megan has said, if you're waiting to be joyful, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to make you not feel joyful between that, you know, that desire and that time. 
Advent reminds us of this, that we don't have to wait on the experience of joy, that in Jesus, we already have enough to feel real joy all the time. Rejoicing, therefore, the expression of joy is like, should be a habit for us. It's like a muscle that has to be built up and trained. We have to practice rejoicing, expressing our joy to the world. Now, God made a promise a long time ago that one day his people would have great reason to rejoice. And throughout the prophets, even though the prophets are most often telling them what's going to go wrong and how they're going to fall or how they need to turn back to God or how awful they've been, there is always the promise of a period of rejoicing that is going to come. That God's people will one day have great joy. From Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Now, we need to appreciate what Zephaniah is saying here because these words were spoken at a time when the nation of Judah was headed in the wrong direction. Zephaniah was a descendant of Judah's king Hezekiah, uh, and he preached and prophesied during the time of Josiah, who we looked at a few weeks ago. Now, Josiah was a good king, but if you remember, he tried to restore Uh, all the people to God, but what did God tell him? Judah is still going to fall. Even though you are trying to bring me back, Judah is still going to fall because, because their sins cannot be forgotten. So in the middle of these messages of despair, in the middle of saying that Judah is going to fall, which is what he did in chapter two, he says these words, this message of hope that is centered around what God is going to promise to do. And they were going to be regathering to Jerusalem. And though God must punish sin, he is full of mercies and is always true to his promise. Though national judgment is assured, God will not forsake his his people because he is the keeper of covenants and the fulfiller of promises. 
And the result of this time coming, the result of this time when his people will be restored is that they will rejoice like a bunch of idiots. They will sing. They will shout. They will be glad. They will be overwhelmed because they are seeing God fulfill their promises and restoring them, as it says, right in front of them. They're going to see it happen. All fear will be removed. And I love this phrase, and this really brings something out for us. They said, the hands that hang limp by your side will hang limp no longer because you will be rejoicing. So what does that mean? It means when you're living in despair, right? But that's going to change when God returns because your hands will be raised to praise and worship. God. And then there's this beautiful image in there, one uh, that is so just wonderful and poignant. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. Not only will Israel rejoice because God has come, but God is going to rejoice. Because his people are finally his again. And he seals the words as a promise from God. This will happen. The Lord has said this. We see similar words in the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength. In my defense, he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the well of salvation. And that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Now, again, these words from Isaiah, he served under some good kings and some bad kings. But it, he knew again, that the people of Judah were going to fall. But into that space, again, just like the previous passage, he says that the people of God will one day be restored, that they will draw from the well of salvation, and that they will rejoice and proclaim to all the world that the Holy One is among them and that their sin is no longer counted against them. Now, why are these were, were these words important to these people? Well, their lives were about to fall apart, you see. They were about to lose their sense of identity, to be taken away by other nations that were more powerful than them. And so God, each time through the prophets, makes these kinds of promises. That even though you may fall and be away from him, God will restore you once again. One of the main things that we see in the story of Jesus' birth is great rejoicing. 
most of the main players in the birth story find themselves rejoicing at some point. Uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, the shepherds, the angels, I think uh, the sheep were also rejoicing. Uh, the story is uh, just stinks of rejoicing. And why did they rejoice? Well, they understood that they were living in the time that God was fulfilling his promises. When all of these things that God had said so long ago, that they were coming to pass. The Savior has come. The world will never be the same. And they cannot help but rejoice in knowing that. They cannot help but rejoice. From Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Elizabeth had found out that she was pregnant with John. Mary had found out that she was pregnant with Jesus, and Mary went to visit Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would do what? Fulfill his promises to her. John and Jesus were linked in a pretty amazing way, but I love this image that when even the baby Jesus inside of his mother, not yet born, comes into the presence of other people, what do they feel? They feel joy. John leapt in his mother's womb, which had to be really uncomfortable. And then Elizabeth is overcome with the Holy Spirit, which helps her see who this child is going to be. And her response through all of this is, you are so blessed to be a part of this. And I am so grateful to be in the presence of the one who is going to give birth to the Savior. And Mary does what we would all do in this scenario. She breaks out into random song. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What is her song about, church? It is a joyful song about what God is doing and how he was going to fulfill his promises through Jesus. And Mary's life kind of became a mess because of all this, you know. It was, it was not easy 
this entire experience. But in spite of all of that, she found great joy, and then she rejoiced in what God was doing. Because there is great joy when you realize that God always fulfills his promises to his people and that you are living in a time of fulfillment. There is great joy in that. So why don't we rejoice more often? I was at uh, the Pepperdine Lecture several years ago, and um, a friend of our family, uh, Lynn Anderson, was there. And Lynn uh, had cancer, I believe it was cancer, and he just couldn't get around very well, and he couldn't get from one space to another. You know, Pepperdine's on a hillside, and he just couldn't get around anymore. So my dad would pick him up wherever he was and then drive him to wherever he needed to be next. And uh, so I was in the car after we had uh, had lunch or something. And when you're down kind of under the bottom of campus, you kind of come around this hill, over this hill, and, the, and you see all of the ocean and everything in front of you. And Lynn did something I will never forget. He broke into psalm. And in that moment of seeing the ocean from a man who can't even really get around, he proclaimed the goodness of God and the beauty of all that God had done. Because he understood that even though his life was getting harder, he lives in a time of fulfillment where God's creation is beautiful and God has sent Jesus to the world to redeem him. He knows something and lives something that I too easily forget. And that is this, church, we live in a time of God's fulfilled promises. Amen? There is great joy to be found in this. Jesus has come, salvation is here. That God has already done all that needs to be done in order for you to live eternally with him. It is all done, and you live in the reality of that right now. No matter what is happening in your life, however messy it might be at this moment, you have reason to rejoice because God has already done it. And there is nothing that can take you away from the love that God has for you and displayed in Jesus Christ. It is a done deal. It is a done deal. And there will come a time where we will rejoice like a bunch of idiots. Because Jesus will return and take us to the place that God has prepared for us. A home that God has prepared for you. Jesus is coming back. He has come. He has brought salvation to the world. We live in a time of salvation and restoration, and he will come again to take us home. So Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Paul doesn't tell us, rejoice because life is good. Rejoice because things are easy. Rejoice because everything is going your way. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord is near. Amen.